Now, this, this talk is, is for all ages, but if little babies or toddlers do need a break, there is a creche in the room to everyone's left or my, my right for babies and toddlers. But as we come to think about God's word, let us come in a moment of prayer. Our dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we praise you that the same God who spoke the very stars into existence has spoken to us so that we might know you, know ourselves and know how we live rightly with you. In Jesus' glorious name, amen. Do you ever feel like a rotter? Do you ever feel like you're just too bad for God? Do you ever feel that if you were an apple and they could crack you open, they'd find this rotten core? Do you ever have those moments where, where you're like, oh, if people knew what I'd done or what I'd said or who I was, then they wouldn't even want to be friends with me? Or do you, do you have this sort of very public sort of crime and do you sort of feel like, oh, everyone's constantly like just judging me and whispering behind, behind my back? Or, or maybe you've been coming to church for a long, long time and heard these stories many, many times, and you have that, that, little, that little doubt just again and again. Am I, am I too bad for God? Am I too bad for God? And I get that. I get those, that, that feeling, that doubt, that guilt, which can crush us sometimes. And what does God have to say to us then in this, in this moment, in this reality? Well, we land today in Acts chapter 9. And during our family uh, services, all age services this term, we're going to be thinking uh, about Acts um, and see how God established his early church. And here in Acts 9, well, Jesus Christ, he has descended from heaven to earth. He has lived, he has died, he's been resurrected. He has now ascended up into heaven. He's given his Holy Spirit and he's sent his Holy Spirit. <laughs> he's sent his Holy Spirit out so that the church may be filled, so the church may go out and tell all people about Jesus. Okay, so that's where we now land. But as we're, we're landing in, in this moment where the church is growing from just 12 disciples getting bigger and bigger, the church is starting to experience huge levels of persecution because people don't like the fact that there are all these Jesus followers out here. And one of the, the main culprits is a man named Saul. Now, Saul had gone from house to house, taking in Jerusalem and finding Christians and, and then arresting them. And actually, he's caused absolute destruction and havoc throughout uh, Jerusalem. And now he, at the beginning of chapter 9, he is breathing out murderous threats. And he wants to take his operation to Damascus and find Christians to arrest and persecute there. Now, Paul, Saul, sorry, he is like a wild beast. He's like an absolute wild beast. He's got his claws and he's trying to rip them apart. He's got his teeth. He's just seen his prey and he's at them. Paul is sort of like your classic villain in an Avengers film. He is the Thanos of this moment. But more than all those things, Paul is a sinner. Paul is a sinner. If Paul was to wear a t-shirt which sort of described him, he would wear a t-shirt which said sin, 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 all over it. This wild beast, this Thanos-like character, this sinner. But this wild beast is about to meet his match. 
as we heard in the reading in Acts chapter 9, Saul is moving his operation from Jerusalem to Damascus, and he's now heading off to uh, Damascus. Next slide, please. Heading off to Damascus. So Jerusalem's like in the south of the country. Damascus is up north, and he's heading up this Damascus road. But as he heads up this Damascus road, next sign, slide, he sees this bright, shining light, and it just throws him to the ground. He's absolutely thrown onto the ground, and then he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul is just filled with fear. He's like, who, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And this voice calls out to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And Saul got up. But as he got up, he found that he was blind. He found that he was blind. Now, and as we kept on reading in the story, this blind Saul was then led to Damascus. Now, Tom, can you be my, fr my friend and lead me to Damascus, please? Be, be kind, be kind. I'm sorry for all the shortcuts. To the, to, the, to, the to the chair. Okay. To the chair. Take me there to the go. chair. There you go. We're there? Oh, yeah, there it is. Oh, thank you. you. Thank you. And Saul is taken to Damascus. But that's, that's not the end of the story. This isn't just the Lord God rebuking Saul, and that's it. No, no, the Lord God has got big plans for Saul. Because, you see, in Damascus, there was another disciple, a disciple of the Lord Jesus called Ananias. And the, and the Lord Jesus appeared to Ananias. And the Lord Jesus told Ananias, you need to go and see Saul, who's now in your city. And Ananias is like, what? You want me to go see Saul? This wild beast, this destroyer of the church, this one who goes from house to house imprisoning Christians. You want me to go see this man? But the Lord God is having none of that. The Lord God wants Ananias to go see Saul because Ananias might, might see that this sinner, this wild beast, but, but the Lord God knows what his grace is going to achieve in Saul's life. If you've got a Bible, look at verse, uh, look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. Chapter 9, verse 15. Here we have the Lord God speaking about how his grace is going to transform the life of Saul. And the Lord God is going to turn Saul into his instrument to proclaim the good news to the Gentiles, to their kings and the people of Israel. Tommy boy, I need you again. On my, on, over there, you should find an instrument. You should find an instrument. You know what? I, I'm like Tom's apprentice and it's quite nice having the order of authority <laughs> turned around. Oh, totally thank you. you thank you. So the Lord God, in verse 15, says that Saul is going to become Paul, um, his instrument. And what does an instrument do? Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Grade one recorder came in handy. When, when Tom plays his recorder, he plays green sleeves and I have a Tudor classics. And I play hot cross buns. <laughs> but what does an instrument do? What does an instrument do? It, it fills a place with music, often better music than that. It fills a place with music. And what does the Lord God 
What is his plans? His transforming plans for Saul. His transforming plans for Saul is that Saul, like an instrument fills a place with music, Saul is going to fill the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. That he has come, that he has died, that he has risen. That forgiveness of sins is open to everyone who will believe. And so Ananias heads over. He heads over to, uh, to Saul's house. And he tells Saul, the same Lord Jesus who you met on that Damascus road is the same Lord Jesus who has sent me to you to pray for you, to restore your sight and to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, what does it say in the text? At that moment, like, it's like, he, like, like things just fell off his eyes. Fell off his eyes and he's able, oh, he's able to see. Suddenly life, suddenly colour is his sight is given back to him. And what does he do at that moment, now that he's able to, to see? What does he do? Well, let's, let's look down. Um, what's the very first thing that he do? He does. Verse uh, 18, the last bit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. The very first thing that Saul does, is he is baptised. And what is baptism? Particularly as an adult, for, for children, it's parents making a declaration for their child. But for adults, when an adult chooses to get baptised, well, it is an external sign of an internal conviction. An internal conviction saying, yes, I'm holding on to Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and he is my Saviour. But a baptism is more than just holding on to Jesus. It is that. But it's more than that. It is also a washing a washing, it is an external washing, of, what, of an external sign of an internal spiritual washing. Because you see, Saul is a sinner. If he wore a t-shirt with his life all over it, it would say sin, 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 sin. And he, ah, no sinner is ever getting into heaven. But Jesus was a perfect man, a righteous man, a good man, and a pure man. And if he wore a t-shirt, it would be as white as snow. And baptism is the taking off of the old and the putting on of the new. Baptism is the taking off of the old and the putting on of the new. So if anyone looked at Saul's life now, they would not see sin, sin, sin. But they would see purity and righteousness. The purity and righteousness that belong to Jesus Christ. The forgiveness and the cleansing which comes from Jesus alone. And what's then the next thing he does? Because Saul doesn't really finish there, does he? Verse, uh, verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. At once he began to preach. This is the great persecutor of the church is now proclaiming the glorious news about Jesus Christ so that more people might hear and more people might believe. And actually, Saul goes on to become one of the most famous advocates and preachers of the gospel in the entire world. Saul's name in time, if we kept on reading Acts, would be changed to Paul. And the greatest cathedral in London, St. Paul's, is named after this very preacher. Once the Saul meets the Lord Jesus, he is baptised. 
and then he goes proclaiming. He becomes that instrument, filling the world with the music, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to keep on thinking a little bit more about that story in a moment, but before we continue, we're just going to sing, lift our voices to the Lord with, Lord, I lift your name on high. As we just reflect upon that incredible act of rescue that the Lord God has given to all who will claim him as his personal saviour. Now, this story has uh, huge sort of implications, huge implications, but, but maybe there's a question bubbling away in your mind, because those implications don't really matter. Like, maybe that question bubbling away in your mind is like, well, but is it even true? Is this even true? Well, what's interesting, if we ask that question, like, well, did this really happen to Saul, or did he just make it all up? Well, we've got to ask, we've got to start thinking about that, like, because Saul wasn't, he wasn't some religious enthusiast. He wasn't some, like, person who'd been following Jesus for years and was spending all his time reading about him and thinking about him and he just had this overactive sort of imagination. No, Saul wasn't a religious enthusiast. He was an enemy of the church. He hated the church. He hated Jesus. It doesn't really make sense for for Saul just to imagine this uh, appearing when he hates Jesus. But also it doesn't really make sense for Saul to imagine this appearing because Saul gains nothing earthly from it. Nothing. Saul was part of the establishment. Saul, Saul was already like highly regarded. And by becoming a Christian, he aligns himself with, with the, a group who are outcasts, who are social rejects. He aligns himself with people who are being persecuted. He gains nothing from, from making this story up. He only gains something if it's true. He only gains something. If the life which Jesus offers him isn't earthly paradise, but it's a paradise of heaven, isn't, and the cleansing of his soul. And that means it has that ring of truth, because Paul gains nothing from it. But another question we might be asking ourselves as we've been thinking about Acts chapter 9, is, well, why does God even want us to know this? Like, this happened 2,000 years ago. Come on. Why do we need to know about this? And as I was pondering on that question, why has the Lord God given us these words? I think, it's, I think it's because God wants us to know Jesus' methods. He wants us to know Jesus' methods. And Jesus' methods are grace upon grace upon grace. Because Saul, well, he, was, he, was a dirt, he was a dirty sinner, a wild beast, an enemy. Alone he deserved judgment, and yet he received grace upon grace upon grace. And the Lord God wants us all to know that we, when we look at ourselves truly, we can see the fact that we are sinners. But if we will come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness, then we can all receive grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And it, what is remarkable about this grace, which the Lord God pours onto Saul, he doesn't earn it, he doesn't deserve it, and it completely transforms him. It gives him new purpose, a new vision suddenly he becomes the Lord's very instrument, taking the gospel out to the corners of the earth. And maybe we're sat here being like, but I just, I'm too much of a rotter for God. I've done too many bad things. He'll never want me. Well, no one's more of a rotter than Saul was. And the Lord God reached out his hand to him and brought Saul into the kingdom. And the Lord God is reaching out his hand to us 
and he will bring anyone who takes hold of it into the kingdom with him. I once, uh, once, I do know a girl who, for the sake that we're on a live stream, I'll call Maddie, I know a lady called Maddie, who grew up um, in a loving, loving home, going, going along to church, and then she went off to, went off to university, and she just threw it all away. She just had enough of church, had enough of Christianity, had enough of reading her Bible, trusting all Jesus, threw it away. She didn't want any of it. And she just did everything she wanted to do while she was, while she was there. And then I, after university, this high-flying sort of student lifestyle she was living, she just kept on pursuing bigger careers and bigger dreams, finding that perfect man and, and marrying him and having kids. And she pursued it on and on and on until that moment where she started to feel that strong sense that she was alone in this world with her perfect husband and her perfect career. She was alone in this world, and she was a human in this world, and she couldn't control this world. As she saw loved ones around her dying who she could not save. And this, this moment brought a great conviction in her life. And I remember talking to her. She was in tears, and she said, Adam, like I used to know it all. I felt like I threw it all away. I threw it all away. And the tragic truth is that she had thrown it away. But the glorious truth is, more glorious than that tragedy, is that no one is ever too far for God. No one is ever too far from God. No one is ever too rotten. No one is ever too bad. That hand reached out to her and drew her back home. That hand is reaching out to us. What is God saying to us today? Maybe he's saying to you, take that hand which Jesus offered you and experience grace upon grace upon grace. Or maybe he's saying, um, so you, you're just thinking as you've been listening about that, but I've still got so many questions I want to think through. And if you're a child in the room, anyone under 14, then normally on a Sunday we'd do Christ Club and, um, and Pathfinders from, from like the three-year-olds to 14-year-olds. And those are fantastic places to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's nowhere better to be on a Sunday morning than hearing about him. Or maybe you're a bit older than 14 and you've still got some pretty big questions. Well, thankfully, Christianity is an old, rich, and intellectually stimulating religion. And uh, one of the more recent books, Confronting Christianity, just looks at 12 hard questions for the world's largest religion to help people think through all about who Jesus is and these big claims that he makes. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time now. You've been walking this road, and maybe this, the Lord is God is telling to you as we've been hearing from Acts 9, well, pray to the Lord and ask, Lord, how can I be your instrument in my family, in my workplace, in my social setting, with my neighbors? How can I be your instrument? How can I fill the world with the glorious music of Jesus Christ so more people might hear and more people might believe? Let's spend a moment just reflecting on God's word, and then I'll close in prayer. Dearest God, we thank you thanked you earlier that you're a speaking God and we thank you that you're a saving God that no one is too far no one is too bad, no one is too rotten to receive your grace upon grace upon grace upon grace and we pray Father God when we take hold of Jesus' hand as it is reached out to us we pray Father God may we be your instruments in every place that you have set us so that we might fill the world with the glorious music 
which is the good news of Jesus. In his most precious name we pray. Amen.